Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Yesterworld podcast. So this one's going to be a little bit different because, for one, um, I'm not uploading this one to YouTube. It's just going to be on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, just something I'm experimenting with uh, going forward. I might upload podcasts to YouTube if they have video or if I'm on a webcam or if my guest has a webcam um, or just maybe it depends on the subject and the guest, but it's an experiment. So for this one, it's just going to be on iTunes. Anyway, so then on to the next thing I want to mention before beginning the actual podcast. Long story short, and this is, I, I consider this more for all of you that follow me, not just for my YouTube videos, but also follow me on my podcast, because I know Obviously, that's you know, a much smaller number of people than um, my YouTube audience. And so it just really I really appreciate the fact that you enjoy the conversations I have with um, the people I've brought on thus far. So basically, long story short, I've been wanting to find a way to produce more content on the channel without sacrificing quality. That's been my biggest thing. Um, I realize I don't get nearly as much out as a lot of people do. Um, you know, I'm a, kind of a one-man band at the moment, and I probably a little too much obsess over the, uh, you know, the editorial aspect and um, other things. So the options have always been either A, hire on someone to help out, um, like an assistant editor. And I'm still playing around with that. I'm very hesitant because it's just a very, the workflow I have is very specific, so it would be very tricky, but it's an option. Um, the other idea I've played around with is bringing someone onto the channel who also shares a passion and interest in the things I love exploring, like theme parks and movies and video games and TV show history and all that kind of stuff. Just to not only add more content to the channel on a regular basis, but also expand the subjects that um, we cover on Yesterworld, because you know, there are theme park stories that I am interested in and I would love to see a video on, but they're not ones that I would necessarily do myself. But um, I think I found someone. Um, as a friend of mine named Quinn, he does other content on YouTube, but uh, he's always wanted to do theme park content. You know, when we were talking about ideas, he brought up like three stories that I would probably never cover myself, but I was like, I would totally watch someone who made a video about that. So it just really connected when we started talking about the kinds of subjects he would want to explore and um, how things could work. So this weekend, he'll be or will be debuting his first episode exploring the history of Honey, I Shrunk the Audience. And it's something I'm really excited for because we've been working together to make sure it's not like a jarring experience. You know, I'm going to do an intro and outro and we've made sure to keep, you know, um, cause I don't want it to just be him copying my style, but we also want to keep a level of familiarity in um, terms of the, just certain aspects of editing and storytelling to not make it like a total 180 from the stuff that I usually produce on the channel. But I mainly just wanted to assure everyone that I'm not going anywhere. I'm still going to be producing just as much content as I normally do. It's just a way to expand the channel and what we cover on it and also get more episodes out on a regular basis. So I'm going to stop rambling and I hope you enjoy this podcast with Quinn. So one thing I thought would be a nice way to begin this is to just talk a little bit, a bit about 
when you started getting interested in theme parks, what were the parks you went to first growing up? Um, just give me a little, you know, backstory on how you got introduced into the theme park world. And I, I would say it's mostly because I first went when I was maybe four or five. Mm. I, I don't, I don't actually even specifically remember which parks we went to. I just have very vague memories. And I know I mentioned this when we first were talking, that really my only like vivid memory is being on the alien ride right. and just getting, I, it kind of ruined my week as a child. I, I'll remember that forever because I really thought it was real. And then when I went back and Stitch was there, I loved that, which is kind of the opposite of how most people, I, I would say as a kid, it probably wasn't a very popular ride though. Um, alien encounter but uh well they tried to advertise it like if you look at the old advertisements they have kids out front and the host is like all right kids let's go inside and then i always thought like no it's not a kid's ride it's like traumatizing to that age oh i very vividly remember not wanting to go on it and my parents convincing me that it was like a fun family-friendly ride i don't think it was malicious i just don't think they knew but they wanted to go on it so you know I know I refused to go on Tower of Terror, but that was more... That that one kind of tells you what you're getting right. into from the outside. Though. Well, even the name, um, <laughs> Terror. It's like Tower of Terror. Well, that too, yes. I suppose that would be a hint. Um, <laughs> the giveaway. But then I went back. I went back when I was maybe 12. And when I was 12, I actually wasn't interested in the parks at all. I wasn't interested in, like, that sort of thing at all. You know, Disney and... Mm-hmm. Uh, for whatever reason, I just wasn't into it. And then we went to Universal, which had Harry Potter. Um, and that was, uh, I was a big Harry Potter fan growing up. But it's funny because probably it was probably a few years after that that I really got into like the theme park history and everything. Um, I got really interested in just cinema, which I suppose that's probably where a lot of people get interested in the theme parks is they get interested in movies in general. Right. And it kind of leads them to the history of the parks and uh, everything that's happened at the parks and the IPs that are there. Um, but it was funny because that's when I really got into it, but then we never ended up going back uh, after that. And for five or six years, I always wanted to go to the parks. But uh, at that point, I was too old for my parents to, you know, want to go to the parks. And my sister was too young, so we weren't really, not too young to go, but, you know, they kind of wanted her to remember it. Right. So we just were waiting. And then by the time she was old enough, I, I had moved out and everything. So, um but yeah, that's where I really got into it because I got so into movies and at one point I wanted to be an actor and then I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be a director and then I, wa- I wanted to be all these different things. Um, but I, th- I would say that's where a lot of people start their interest is just movies and an interest in that, you would think at least. No, I agree because I'm trying to remember for me what came first. I think for me, theme parks may have come first, but like you said, I think movies you know it's a form of visual entertainment and it's a way to immerse you into another world whether it's lord of the rings or harry potter or even you know dramas like you know like a like a schindler's list i recently saw that. that's why i bring it up where even though it's like a horrific movie you're still immersed into that world and it you feel things that you wouldn't normally feel in any other form of medium and so I think with theme parks, it's again, it's another way to immerse yourself into a world. And whether it's something like Alien Encounter, which is terrifying, or Splash Mountain, where it's happy. So it's a way to, you know, take a break from your life and immerse yourself in a new world. And um, and I, I think 
video games and movies and you know um, all that really does connect and it's all a form of visual entertainment and immersion so I think it makes complete sense to have started from movies and then you you know go into the parks because a lot of them are based on movies now especially well I think that I think the Harry Potter world in general was really just what sold me on it because it really was something special to be a kid who was obsessed with Harry Potter from the age of like six and to have read those books for all those years as a kid and be in that world in your head and in the movies as well and then get to go to Universal and when you're a kid things are like things are a little different where like when I went to Universal and that was when they only had um, they only had the part in Islands of Adventure not mm. uh, not not in Universal Studios but as a kid I really felt like I was you know at Hogwarts I was 11 or 12 or something and uh, you know I don't th- I don't remember Disney making an impression on me as much at that age because right. at 11 or 12 I wasn't as interested in like the you know what I mean like the IPs that Disney tended to have at that point especially in Magic Kingdom which I believe was the only Disney park we went to um, on that trip right so I, I at that point you know you're not as interested in a 12 year old isn't it thinks they're too old for the the IPs of Magic Kingdom you know what I mean um, yeah because I mean like I mean even not even as being a kid like I the first time I went to Harry Potter World I think I was I was in college and I same here like I I didn't get into Harry Potter until later in my years because the it's a whole other topic but I wasn't allowed to read the books or watch the movies as a kid and I always wanted to and I was always so upset that I couldn't and then finally I was in my I was probably like 14 or 15 and my parents were finally like okay fine you know you can read them if you want and watch the movies and I read through all the books that were out at the time and I just binged through all the movies so by the time I was in college I was you know already a Harry Potter fanatic and I remember I think I was 18 or 19 maybe my first trip maybe 20 to um I guess it would have just been Hogsmeade at the time and I was just blown away by all of the just all the details and and even the attraction like Forbidden Journey blew my mind at the time Harry um not Harry um at the time I would always say like Indiana Jones was to me the best attraction I've ever been on and I remember that was like the first time I ever thought like competition wise you know that it was on par that that Universal had put something on par with Indiana Jones for me because it had that much of an impact on me. The like I I went in knowing nothing, and by the end I was just I couldn't believe they were able to make such an amazing ride. Because um, Universal at the time wasn't known for that level of immersion yet. You know, now they're you know going all crazy, but at the time it was the first for them really. You gotta wonder how much. And obviously, J.K. didn't, you know, build the parks. But you got to wonder how much of a success those were has to do with her involvement and how strict she was and what they could and couldn't do. I would say a hundred, or not a hundred percent, but there was a time when pretty much Harry Potter was either going to go to Disney or it was going to go to Universal. And ultimately, the reason it went to Universal is because Disney wouldn't let; they weren't going to let her have as much creative control. They wanted to be able to take some liberties with certain aspects of the ride and the um, and the land. And Universal was like, hey, you know what you're doing? We will do whatever you want. And that's why it is so crazy specific. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but 
over at the other um, land um, where Diagon Alley is, I don't know if you heard of it, but I think it was two years ago during Halloween Horror Nights, they just shown like a, they had like a like a orange light with pumpkins or something. I don't remember shining on the on the facade, and she saw that and she went like ballistic on them, and that's why it's like the only area of the park that doesn't have any kind of Halloween theming. Just from a light, she was just you know because she's so careful about breaking like that immersion and the level well, of heard, detail. I've heard so many stories about her involvement there. You got to wonder how many of them are, are true. I, I heard with the whole Disney fallout had to do with had to do with like the characters themselves and J.K. Rowling or Disney wanted the characters, you know, like the walk around characters mm-hmm. to actually be the characters from the movies, you know, so you'd have a Harry Potter, right. Hermione, a Ron walking around. And she said, no, that's not, you know, that's right. not in the cards. And they, that, that Disney actually pulled out because they weren't willing to give that up. That makes um, total sense because they do that with every, I mean, they're going to have Star Wars characters. Yeah, that makes total, I think the only one they haven't is with Avatar uh, Pandora, but maybe that's just because it's more impractical to have, you know, nine foot tall avatars walking around. But every other franchise they do, they have a, you know, Belle and Anna and Elsa and everything else. I mean, they've been doing it with the with the face characters of Marvel, which, in my opinion, doesn't doesn't work very well. Um, like they have like a Star Wars meet and greet, and I've I've seen like Loki and stuff walking around in California, which I don't I don't know how well that works, in my opinion, when they're live action characters with an actor. But it's weird uh, for me. It's just I mean it, I I think if it again it probably depends on your age and how much of a Marvel fan you are. But for me, I'm too much of a, like a nitpicker where I think in Hollywood studios and no offense to the guy, but whoever they had for star Lord at the one time I saw, was just like this really scrawny guy. And I was like, no, like that's, it just kind of took me out more than anything. Versus, oh, that's what, know. that's what would happen in Harry Potter. I think that would pull me right out of the park. If, you had a Harry Potter that's not Daniel Radcliffe yeah. or a Hermione that's not. It would it would be jarring. I really like what they've done, where you have characters that are just kind of nameless students mm-hmm. or nameless workers, right? And that's it. Yeah, and that makes sense because I mean Hogwarts has a bajillion students that you don't even see in the movies. Um, yeah, because I guess they have you know they'll have like a Ray walking around, you know Ray from Star Wars, and even they're pretty good about choosing lookalikes to Ray, but maybe that's maybe it's different because Harry Potter is just such a specific character you know and we have what eight films on just him and Hermione and Ron versus Ray is only from two at the moment so it's maybe it's easier to get away with not having someone that's exactly you know the same looking I think it's easier to do it because they started doing it right away. You know, like if all of a sudden they started introducing Harry Potter face characters, people wouldn't, I, I don't think it would work. One, well, what age? Like, you know, you have this whole, would it be 10-year-old Harry? Would it be 13-year-old Harry? Would that's it be true. awkward 15-year-old long hair Harry Potter? Like, you know. That too. It kind of pinpoints the time and raises a lot of questions, which to be fair, shouldn't matter. <clears throat> But it was still as a as a big Harry Potter fan, it would mess with me where I'd be like, so I, I would want to ask them questions to see how right. they react and see what they answer. Yeah. And that 
I, yeah, I never thought of that, but that makes total sense because I can't see like with Pandora. I think it's more understandable because there really weren't any like iconic characters other than the avatars themselves. Um, whereas Harry Potter, you have so many iconic characters that they probably would want to put a Snape out. Although that's probably easier to do, like a Snape or a Dumbledore. But I could see J.K. Sure. not wanting, you know, that to happen. So I think it really just came down to Disney wanting more control and her not wanting, you know, she had a vision for it and she had a lot of rules and Universal. And I think a lot of people forget that at the time, like, yeah, Universal's always had some great attractions, but they never had anything, at least in my opinion, like the level of immersion that Disney has had. And with Harry Potter, it was like the first time they're like, hey, we can do that too. And now they're doing Diagon Alley. And um, I think we're going to see a lot more of that, you know, or even with Nintendo Land, wherever it ends up going, uh, Universal is really kind of more on par with Disney, whereas they weren't for a while. You know, they had great attractions, but they weren't, you know, they were more standalone attractions rather than like a world, like a like an animal kingdom or something. I mean, they kind of had to do something. And that's why I brought that up about JK, because compared to the rest of the park, it's it's a completely different feeling. It just, you know what I mean, from the ground mm -hmm. up. But they kind of had to get an IP like Harry Potter and do something great with it because, you know, and I suppose the history would be different if they didn't get Harry Potter. But I can't imagine the attendance if they didn't have Harry Potter right now. I, I've re I really feel like it would be very, very low because Disney has constantly been been stepping up their game left and right. And Universal really has been relying on yeah. just Harry Potter. Like, I, I didn't go to Universal last year to, to go on Men in Black. Right. You know, I, that, right. that, wasn't, that wasn't the draw. And I don't think that would be the draw for many. Um, I, I would actually love to know how the attendance would be if they did not have just Harry Potter because I think that's single-handedly what's kind of keeping the park together. I agree. I think that they really did strike gold with that. And I think Star Wars Land is Disney's kind of <clears throat> answer to that because... Again, they had some really great attractions and, you know, the, you know, the mummy and um, Jaws back when it was still there and E.T., of course. But like that whole area that Harry Potter is in now over at Islands of Adventure was just like the medieval thing. It was like a medieval themed area and they just had coasters, but it really wasn't anything immersive like that. But I'd be curious. But yeah, I'd be curious to see the num. I'd be curious to to you know like in an alternate reality where they didn't do a Harry Potter because that is so much of their um, uh, like their attendance numbers right now I would imagine is that the vast majority of people are coming to see Harry Potter well when I went down to Universal last January I probably spent 80% of my time in the park in the Harry Potter themed parts of the land you know I went on mm -hmm. the other rides and then I don't think there was a single ride I felt like I wanted to go on more than once. I, you know, I, I don't mind screen rides at all, um, but there's really no reason to go on one more than once because there's nothing you can notice. There's really, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you go on it once, you've experienced it, and that's it, you know? Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that is true where it was something like Forbidden Journey from even just the queue alone. You're, you know, every, even now, like any time I go in there, I'll notice a little little detail. 
and they didn't they really they didn't have that at the point i i think their most of in terms of immersion was the mummy and et um at the time before harry potter where you know you really do feel like you're stepping into et's world and the same with the mummy but with men i guess with men in black it's I'm not a huge fan of the franchise, so I've never been a huge fan of the ride. But yeah, like it's it's a fun attraction to go on. But I never, I don't know. I guess it they lacked immersion for a while, and of course, I'll always hold it against them that they got rid of Back to the Future, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, I'm not a huge fan of the Simpsons ride personally. Well, that 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 would be my standout ride for a screen ride that you do it once and that's all you need because the Simpsons, there's really, I, I don't know. You get in a little cart and there's a screen in front of you and for a screen ride, it's done about as well as it could be done. But mm-hmm. right. What, I, what value is there in ongoing a second time? You know, I guess if you're just a massive Simpsons fan, but where you're a like, huge Simpsons buff <laughs> and you want to point out every little, and I'm, I imagine there's a ton of random little details. I, I'm like a casual fan of the Simpsons. Whereas something like Jaws, Back to the Future, those are the ones where, and again, that's where it's a personal preference thing, but man, I, I would love to have seen Back to the Future just get like a really nice refurbishment. But I understand Simpsons, you know, then with the Simpsons, then they could set up, you know, the carnivals and the Quickie Mart and the and the beer and the, the different restaurants. So I understand from a business point of view why they did it. Because, I mean, that whole area is, you know, always popular but i i loved um i never got to experience it in orlando but i imagine it was pretty much identical to the hollywood version if not literally identical but um yeah i I really what's that are you talking about the simpsons oh the back Back to the future i know the simpsons is like identical in both parks but i and i'm pretty sure back to the future was identical in both parks but just to hear that score i would ride the ride just you know, over and over again because I loved that movie so much growing up. Oh, I, I I still remember that one from being a kid. That was definitely gone the second time I went, but that one and Terminator 2 3D, which was completely broken when I went. Um, yeah. I don't know. The IPs they got rid of were kind of... I, I always thought to them taking out Jaws was just the weirdest choice. I mean, I guess it's just because it was... They knew what they wanted to do with, with Diagon Alley. Right. And that was really the only place in the park that would work. But Jaws was probably the worst ride they could have picked to take out, in my opinion, at least. Like, Yeah, I, I guess it really did come down to, like, space. Like, I, I would imagine that if it was a matter of not having the logistics of where to put it, they would have just taken out, like, Men in Black or something like that. Because um, yeah, I, I remember riding Jaws the last year it was around. And me and my friend just wrote it over and over because we knew it was going to be going away. And neither of us lived in Florida at the t- at the time. And just writing it all the time because we knew it was going to go away. But, like, what an incredible... And the thing is that kind of bothers me, too, is, like, sometimes you have a ride that gets removed because it's become really dated. And they don't want to put in the money to update it, which makes sense um, sometimes. But Jaws was... I mean, it, it didn't really need enough, you know what I mean, like it wasn't like a decaying attraction or anything. It was still, at least in my memory, it ran perfectly fine. It, you know, it was such a great, like a little immersive 
experience. Well, not only that, Jaws is just an IP, and I, I guess this is all really subjective, but Jaws is an IP that I don't think is dated or really would ever get dated. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. Versus The Mummy Returns with Brendan Fraser. <laughs> but actually, actually, the ride, I think, is amazing, but that IP is very, very, very dated. Right. Men in Black, even though they're coming out with a new movie, the whole ride just feels... It's not. I don't even know if that ride has to do with the, with the IP as much as just the ride feels very '90s. It does, it, and very much like yeah. they don't really care about how that. You know what I mean? The ride yeah. just feels really out of date. Um, well, I think that's that's each, my each jaws or IPs that don't age, in my opinion. That's always been my hesitation with, and it's a it's a whole other subject, but with the. Uh, taking things like Guardians of the Galaxy, which is popular now, but I don't know if in five, ten years it'll still have that longevity of being like a timeless classic. You know, like Jaws is a timeless classic, Back to the Future, all these rides. So I understand why they, you know, they want to put in what's new and popular. But I guess in Harry Potter, I, for it, as painful as it was to see Jaws go, because I love that ride. I love Harry Potter so much that it was like not as hard, I guess, because it was replacing one of my favorite movies with one of my favorite franchises. So I wasn't, you know, it was easier for, for me to like accept. But when you have other attractions that are becoming um, like Tower of Terror when it became Guardians of the Galaxy, and then I don't know, I wonder, I mean, obviously Marvel's always going to be popular, but I wonder if those movies have enough longevity in them. Or if they're just going to have to swap it out in five years with the next Marvel ride or, you know, if we're getting away too much from attractions that hold on their own and that will hold on their own for like years and years and years versus having to constantly like swap out rides with, you know, theming with whatever's popular at the moment, if that makes sense. I don't think there's I think it's almost like there's no nothing to go off of with something like that, because in 10 years there's a really good chance a lot of those characters are still going to be in movies. Mm, you know what I mean? True. A lot of the characters on the Guardians ride. So it, it probably will feel weird if you just get back from uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 7 <laughs> and Chris Pratt is now 50. Okay, no, right. in 10 years he's not going to be 50, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Chris Pratt is aged considerably, and then you get on Guardians, uh, What what is it called? Mission Breakout? Yeah. Um, and Chris Pratt's back to how he looked in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. I think that might feel weird and it might feel dated. But the nice thing with those rides is I suppose they can always just call the actors back in and have them, you know what I mean, do something that fits with the current narrative. Well, that's what I wonder if they're ever going to do with Harry Potter. Because it's probably different, but, you know, eventually the cast is going to look nothing like, you know, even though they did them in later in the movie trilogy or in the later in the franchise, so it's not as noticeable that if they had made a ride harry potter h10 versus now you know they did it right sure. at the end of the franchise but i do wonder if they'll ever bring them back in when they are older or if they'll just keep it kind of like et where you know that kid's like 30 or 40 years old now they're not going to have him come in and do reshoots or anything well that would just be sad though <laughs> wouldn't it be sad to see a lot of 40 year old wizards that never left high school flying around that would be. so i wonder if that's going to remain I've always thought, like, is that something well, in 10, 20 different. years, you know? 
that's different unless they make further Harry Potter movies with those actors. You know, I, who knows what's going to happen at this point. That's different because you're never going to see those characters. Character, again, those, right. those, you're never going to see those actors as those characters. True. My thought is, I guarantee in our lifetime they'll remake the Harry Potter franchise. Oh, I hope not. What are they going to do then? That's that's my question because I think that will absolutely happen. Uh, whether it be a TV series or a movie series, with it's the same characters, or do you just mean like how they're doing it now, where it's like extra stories within the Potter verse, or do you think literally no, think they're going to start re- over with new actors? Um, I think that's almost like inevitable. I don't want, I don't like it, but I think that'll probably happen. That's what I wonder what they'll do then. Like, once the new Harry Potter's all the rage, and then you go to the theme park, and it's the Harry Potter from, you know, 2001. Right. Which, I, I it's it, for me, I grew up with it, so that's going to be, like, timeless for me. But if you're a kid growing up, say you're a kid growing up in 2025, and the new Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone comes out, um, and the lead actor is, like, Chris Pratt's son or something, I don't know. Um, and then you go to Universal Studios and some guy named Daniel Radcliffe is playing your favorite character. Hmm. Yeah, That's going to be confusing. It's, I think they'll remake them, don't you? I don't know. Maybe it's my my not wanting to, them to. Because I, I kind of think of the same way with like um, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy. I was wonder, and it's not theme park, but you know, I always wonder if they'll ever remake those. I mean, I hope not, but I don't know. It's hard to tell because now everything is remakes and prequels and sequels. And Well, I don't think that would happen anytime soon. But Harry Potter is different because people uh, you got like the studios look at something like that and they know that people a lot of people would be very open to a new Harry Potter series. I, I think I don't want it. But in, in 10 years or so, I think a studio could get away with it without too much outrage. If they said they're going to remake Lord of the Rings people would have a meltdown because to be honest, there's no reason to remake Lord of the Rings. Like if you've read the books, those movies have done amazing justice. The Harry Potter movies, I love them, but as far as like telling the narrative of the books goes, a lot of those movies just kind of fall on their face, even if they are fun movies to watch. Um, Yeah, I could see that because like for me, I actually, it's hard because I only read, I've only read all the Harry Potter books once, but I've seen the movies multiple times. But I do know there are, I mean, I've gone on some forums where I see people that, and I I know you don't feel this way, but I've seen people on the one side of the spectrum where they hate the Harry Potter movies but love the books, and they think it's just, like, butchered, and those are the types that would love to see it remade. But I don't know if there's any way to please, like, when it's that much of an extreme, because obviously... No, that's what I I mean. Like, there's such... It's such a moneymaker, that franchise and that name, Harry Potter. And I think the studio would know that people would be open enough to it to be able to get away with it, where I think it will happen. Like, when I'm on Reddit or whatever, all the time I see people that say, I would love a Harry Potter Netflix TV series or something that could actually, you know, tell the story of the books. Because when I talk to my sister who loves the movies, and then sometimes I'm watching them with her, and I've probably read the books you know, five or six times each. And the movies, I, I don't know. I, I like them and I have them all, but I don't I don't watch them all that often anymore. But sometimes if I, whenever I'm watching them, 
it's usually with my sister who always has them on. I'll ask her, like, because I'll, I'll be watching the movie and I'll realize they left, like, a huge detail out that's, like, vital to the plot. And I'll ask her, I'll, like, frame a question. I'm like, so what do you think happened here? And huh. then she thinks about it and she realizes that the movie never explained it. But the movie glosses over so many things you almost don't even notice it. I, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. Like, the movie's glossed over just It makes sense because... Not like because, like I said, I read them all once, like fifteen years ago. But I could totally see that if you had read them multiple times, and maybe the movies would drive you crazy. I mean, luckily, I was—I think I saw the first Lord of the Rings, and then I read and then I read all the books because I was pretty young when that came out. But I can imagine if I was a huge fan of Lord of the Rings, the books first and then the movies. Whereas for me, it was the opposite—that I'd feel the same way. Because there are so many things that I remember that were not in the um, done in the books the way they are in the movies, and there's so many characters that are completely left out, and there are a lot of there's only really one arc from the Lord of the Rings in the book that I remember and was actually disappointed because um, by the time Return of the King came out, I'd already read all of them, um, and it had to do with their return to Hobbiton because that was a whole completely different when they return and it's all taken over and there's this whole plot and Saruman's there. Whereas in the movie, it took a completely different direction. So I could see like how I felt that way is how you could feel watching Harry Potter. If you're, you know, really. Oh no, I, I I love, I love the movies. I just, I just get, I get people's criticism of Mm -hmm. them. Like I have, I have nostalgia goggles on for the movies, especially the first five or six where like I, as a kid, I would watch them like every day. You know, it was all I would ever put on. I don't know if you did that as a kid where like I did that with Lord of the Rings. <laughs> that was my you just you just watch the same movie over yep. and over again. That Lord and of the Rings and Space Jam. Five, so. Um, so I love the movies, but I, I get where people I feel like if you were adult, uh, an adult or older when they came out and like because I saw the first two movies before I read any of the books. But if you were an adult when they came out and you'd read the books or you're a teenager and you were really expecting some things, you know, the books, I don't really fault the movies for it because how do you fit that much into right. into two hours? You almost can't. Um, so that, I think I think a TV series will be, will be announced within the next decade. Um, Harry Potter, Netflix or Hulu or yeah. Disney Plus, whoever <laughs> owns Harry Potter at that point. I could see that. Uh, I could see it more as a TV series, as like a new franchise, but I could totally see them translating it into a series. And then and it, then it gives them a chance to explore the storylines that they didn't get to cover in the movies and approach it from a different way. Well, and, and especially how like the Fantastic Beasts franchise is apparently headed. Um, the first one was met with kind of lukewarm reception. Yeah, it's fine. And now this one was this one was kind of panned. Yeah, um, it's the only rotten Harry Potter movie in, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Like that. That's where you start to see, like, you know, in ten years, maybe they'll be like, that. That's the difference between Lord of the Rings and and Star Wars and Harry Potter, in my opinion, is like, Star Wars is looked at back upon as like an untouchable trilogy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't. You can't mess with that, even though George Lucas did. Yeah, but you can't you can't remake those movies. Nobody would. It, w- it would be a huge controversy to the point where like it would never get made because people right. would be so upset about it. It'd be like the Ghostbusters situation last year yep. times a thousand. Exactly. You know, 
Um, same with Lord of the Rings. If they announced the Lord of the Rings remake, people would be like, why? Right. Uh, you know, that's why they did The Hobbit and they made it a new trilogy, not because they wanted to make a trilogy of movies, because they wanted to make a bunch of money off the IP, but they only had right. The Hobbit to work with. I think if they um, kept it two movies... Have that status. I think if they side like side note, I think if they'd kept it to just two movies, it would have been ten times better. But because they made it a trilogy, they had to add all these pointless storylines and like the love triangle, and that, I think that's where that went wrong. If they'd just done two Hobbit movies, I think it would have been just fine. But unfortunately, they. I mean, the third movie is like nothing happens in the third movie. Like yeah, it's like one it's long like scene, one long the first twenty scene. minutes. The first 20 minutes should have been the ending of the second one, and then n- pretty much nothing happens. They could have, ugh, yeah, those the, movies. Like, I enjoyed, I, I really do enjoy the first Hobbit movie, and I enjoyed the second one, but the third one, like, I, it was the only one of those I would actually say, in my opinion, was, like, bad. Like, I just, I thought it was a bad movie, <clears throat> movie, not even, like, because I mean, I mean, I've only read The Hobbit like once or twice. It was just as a movie, as you know, a narrative. It was just not. It just wasn't good. So I. I mean, I, when did that? When did that movie come out? Hobbit three. A few years ago. I'm curious. Okay. So I was like 15 or 16 when that movie came out, and at that point, I was much less cynical about movies. You know, I just kind of, right. you know, like you're at that age where you just. You pretty much like everything. You could go see Unfriended Seven, mm. and you'd leave thinking it was a masterpiece. Well, I loved, um, I loved the Phantom Menace. I thought that was like one of the best movies ever made. And now, well, I, I was, what I was saying is, I remember being bored while watching The Hobbit Three, which is something I just I loved those movies growing up. And then I'm bored my first time watching well, it. There's as no a, plot. That was know, the problem. It was just one long action scene, pretty much, and a bunch of random encounters and but now i know what well, you mean the there, it, there it are movies like all the hobbit what's that it didn't well to me it didn't feel like the hobbit no, when didn't. i was a kid i had the little animated rankin bass movie i don't know if you've ever seen it yeah yeah um that was the hobbit to right. me. right it's like this little fun adventure you know tonally completely and the same with the book tonally it's so much different from the lord of the rings but they but tried to the make it Lord of the like, Rings. Yeah. I want to make it the Lord of the Rings again. Yeah. And then I want a trilogy. That, that was the problem. I want them all three hours and I want an epic, you know, it's like that, that's not what the source material is. But. Well, that's the thing. They kind of tainted their franchise a bit there where if they had just made like a true Hobbit adaptation, I, I guarantee you would be looked at as like, you know what I mean? It'd be looked at as part of the Lord of the Rings versus the, the Hobbit trilogies kind of looked at as like this mediocre almost forget about it you don't even I, I see people on reddit like saying they're not even worth watching which i don't really agree with i think they're good enough to watch they're just not i think the first really two are and then maybe just kind of i don't know i guess they're all worth watching once, I, once. i'm waiting for a really awesome i think if you were to make like a like if some editor was to make like a fan edit like a and maybe there already is one because it, it all the stuff is there. It's just they threw in too many unnecessary things to make it longer and to, like you said, try to make it something it isn't. It wasn't was meant to be. But you mean like editing everything down into like what The Hobbit actually is? Yeah, just like taking out all the the nonsense and the plot lines that didn't really need to be there and just kind of editing it down to like two 
two-hour movies or something like that. Sure. But I, I could see them remaking that at some point in the future, or maybe, a, again, like a TV show I could see maybe out of oh, that. Be, I know they're making some sort of Lord of the Rings TV show, I think, Amazon is. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of my whole point with the IP is where with with ips that big i just think the studio is like if they see an in to do something they're going to and i i think warner brothers i just don't think they're going to be able to resist because they have to know that harry potter isn't looked at the same way the same way lord of the rings and star wars are i i don't right. think they're untouchable i think you could announce a remake without without a backlash you know maybe you'd have that initial backlash that would blow over and then people would still watch it Versus if you announced it for Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, it would be so bad that I, I really don't think they would even do well if they followed through with it. It'd be a Ghostbuster situation, you know? Yeah, because that was... I mean, luckily I was never... I, 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 like, I, I enjoy the first Ghostbusters, but I didn't really grow up with it. And I think that's where a lot of this always comes down to, is when you grow up with something, then when they try to remake it a certain way that's when you get very upset but like what you said if you kind of come into it more in your later years you don't have as much of those kind of nostalgic goggles to go back to because um, there are so many movies i remember as a kid thinking were amazing and then now you watch them and you're you know because you you do grow more critical with age and i mean and the more movies you see the more other cliches are going to stick out which is what i've always found interesting is because when someone will say oh, that scene was so cliche. And I always think it'd be funny to show that movie to someone who maybe had never seen a movie that had that cliche. And to them, it wouldn't be cliche. You know, that's kind of a weird, like, philosophical well, thing. I've always wondered, like, what is cliche? Because cliche is just because it's been done over and over and over again. But maybe someone hasn't seen the movies where it's been done over and over again. So to them, it's not cliche. So I think that's more of a subjective criticism sometimes. Well, that's why as a kid, stuff you saw, you never, there's been many things that like you're a kid and as a kid, I didn't, we had like dial up internet, you know, like right. nothing, you didn't have for this constant connection to, I have a bad habit of looking at movie reviews before I go to see them now and I just can't resist. But when you're a kid, it's like this movie's just sitting in front of you. All you know is what it says on the back of the box and you put it in and you either like it or you don't like nobody right. else's opinion comes into play. Um, so there were many things that I saw as a kid or like, you know, up until I was like, you know, 11, 12, 13 that you watched and you liked them. And then you went on the Internet and realized everyone on the planet hates them. And it was kind of shocking. That's because how it you is don't for realize me it with Hook. The whole movie, the ripoff with Hook. Uh, have you ever seen Hook like Steven Spielberg's? Oh, Peter Hook. Hook. Yeah. That's how I loved that movie. And even now I watch it and I really like it. And I just. I don't I guess it's one of the few where I can't I have a hard time understanding why there are a lot of people who really don't like it and didn't like it because I I don't know it's tough to those kind of cases I don't know if it's more of the nostalgia because I grew up with it or it's just because I legitimately don't see that many issues with it well Harry Potter for me I I, I very much wonder if I was five or six maybe a little bit, I don't know, like seven or eight years older when those movies started coming out, if I would have liked them as much. Because for me, like the franchise, because I grew up as they were coming out, I liked the franchise, like the first few I liked the most, and I kind of liked them less and less as they go along. 
until like the last two i really i really just don't i never want to really watch them um which is funny because that's the opposite in terms of the critic um you know response to the movies well but for me it was like the first two i saw before i even read the books and Mm -hmm. i watched them on dvd a million times and the other ones i saw like i was like a i still remember having like this disney adventure magazine and they had like uh, interviews with the cast of harry potter and stuff and I remember reading that, and I was, like, so excited for the new movies because I was, like, six, seven, eight as they were coming out. But then towards the end, I liked them less and less because I was – the last few, I had read the books first, and I was also, like, older. It's not that I don't like them. I just – I wonder if I was, like, a 10, 11-year-old, and I had read all the books that had come out at the time, like, say, through six at that point. Mm-hmm. And then they came out with Sorcerer's Stone in, like, 2008 or 2009 – I wonder if I would have liked it as much because I would have had all these expectations from the books. And I actually, I don't know many people that read the books first and then watch the movies. Most people that I know either just haven't read the books at all or they watched a few of the movies and then started reading the books. A lot of people got into them. I mean, I know this franchise was huge before the books even came out. I just don't know many people personally. For me, it was the same time because I think when I finally read all the books the third one had just come out so i think i saw i don't remember the order but i think i saw like the first two or three movies first and then i read all the books at the time and then by the time the fourth one came out i was kind of reading it along with when they came out um well one thing i wanted to get to before it gets too late in one of the main uh uh discussion points I wanted to bring up because I think it's interesting that um, because recently you went to Disneyland Paris and I know people like me and a lot of others don't um, haven't had a chance to visit Disneyland Paris and I know we talked a little bit about it but I wanted to for anyone listening who you know has never been and uh, has never maybe even heard from someone who's been there um, I was curious to hear like your thoughts in terms of how it compares to the U.S. parks, kind of the pros and the cons. I know that a lot of the attractions were closed when you went from what it sounded like, but just your, you know, your impressions overall, because I think sometimes the foreign parks, or at least to us, they're foreign, have this kind of mystical magic to them because they're in a, you know, know, distant, because they're so far away and they're something we may not even get to experience in our lifetimes, maybe. So, you know, so what were your impressions overall compared to Disney World and Disneyland? Oh, uh, yeah. So this uh, this summer, uh, me and two friends went across five countries in Europe um, and it had nothing to do with like, uh, you know, they had no interest in theme parks. I kind of just made them go one day because I I wasn't going to be in Paris and not go. But <laughs> right. Um, we got there and we bought. I actually didn't know until I got there that there were two parks in Disneyland Paris. Um, there's Disneyland Paris itself, and then there's Walt Disney Studios. I think it's called. Um, mm-hmm. So we went to Walt Disney Studios first. First impressions were, oh my god, Disneyland Paris has no budget whatsoever, <laughs> um, because Walt Disney Studios is kind of barely a park. Um, like when you compare it to a park here because that was the one we went to first because that one closed at like 5 p.m on the day we were there um so we wanted to hit that one up first and then go to disneyland paris which closed hours later um so we went into walt disney studios 
two of their landmark rides were closed that day. Like two of the big rides, like you think of Hollywood Studios, you have like Rock and or not, um, you have Tower of Terror. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if Tower of Terror was closed when you went to Hollywood Studios. Like, so Tower of Terror was open, but uh, the Rock and Roller Coaster was closed, uh, and then their whole Marvel attraction thing was also closed that day. So all we had was the Toy Story Land there, which was pretty much like a, a carnival. You know, yeah. they had a little like tilt a whirl type thing and a slinky dog roller coaster that was nothing like the one in Hollywood Studios. It's just like a one loop roller coaster and then that's it. Um, They had the Ratatouille ride, which was great. Um, And then they had the Backlot Studio Tour, which was very, very dated. Uh, I had a set from a a movie that no one's ever heard of from like 2002. Um, And we had to look it up. We had no idea what it was. And apparently it was like this direct-to-video movie. I don't know why they chose that set to be the one they would build on on uh, theme park property, but maybe they thought it was going to be huge. Um, yeah, so I, basically, it seems like they don't have. From what I've seen, even in the uh, like the ride point of view videos, it really doesn't seem like they have all that much in the tour to make it even worth going on. I mean, of course, you're there, you're going to ride it, but you know, it's not like the one that they had in Hollywood Studios where they had you know the vehicles from Indiana Jones and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and Star Wars, like. You know, it's just it's a night and day difference between those two t- tours when the other was still around. It was, it was just weird because they didn't. Uh, it was very bizarre because we we started out the tour and our our guide pointed out that the vehicles to our left were from the movie Pearl Harbor, which is like I don't know if you've seen that movie, but yeah, a long it's not time exactly ago. a masterpiece, <laughs> right? Um, or something that stood the test of time. And then after that, there were tons of, like, vehicles and props, like, sitting in the grass to the sides of us pretty much for the whole tour. But none of them were marked, and our guide didn't say what they were. In, in you know, at the parks, like, it's kind of a mix between English and French. Right. Sometimes they'll do both. Sometimes they'll do one language, sometimes the other. But they just didn't say anything. So we're driving past all these props, and to be honest, props don't really mean anything if you don't know what movie right. they're from. or They're just, you have no idea. So right. They're Unless they're like really iconic, like a Star Wars yeah. you know, vehicle where sure. you know. But if it's something kind of generic, you're gonna be like, okay, there's a something. It's a truck. There's a rock. Right. Like you just you don't know what they are. There were all these little dinosaur things that we had no idea what they were from. So it was kind of just confusion for a while. Um, and then they had that that stuff from the Animal Kingdom, the Beastly Kingdom. Um, which was cool. The dinosaur anim- animatronic. It wasn't an animatronic. They just had like a a big like stone set. Um, maybe there was a di- I don't think there was a dinosaur there. Well, the dinosaur was be- there for a while. I don't know if it's still there um, anymore. But it was from the the riverboat uh, cruise. But I didn't know they had anything from Beastly Kingdom. You know, because it was never actually built. Um, on the tour. I thought that's what it was. It was just some kind of stone structure that they hmm. they mentioned it was built for some attraction in the States. Interesting. And we looked it up. Um, but it, it wasn't really anything to look at. It was just like this, uh, honestly, like it's just set. Right. It, it really wasn't much to look at. And then we drove for a while and there was just nothing, just grass on either side of us. Uh, and then we showed up to that movie set. I wish I could remember what the movie was. Um... But that that was it. There was really very little to see. Um, I'm trying to remember who the 
who was who it? Who was it narrated by? I need to look at this. It was narrated by someone that I was like, oh my gosh, is that? Who is it? Um, oh, the movie Rain of Fire is the is what the movie is called. That it's uh, it was released by Touchstone Pictures in two thousand two. Yeah, I remember that one. Received negative reviews and became a commercial failure. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they built a they built a studio tram tour on it. Um, oh, Jeremy movie. Irons is the person that narrates it. Um, so we were we were really wondering. I I was shocked to see Jeremy Irons there. Um, yeah, he narrated for a while the um, Epcot Spaceship Earth before they replaced him with Judy Dench. Oh sure. Yeah. Um, but we were we were we were just concerned because we got we did everything there was to do in the park in about three hours, hmm. and we were like, well, "Wow, that was disappointing!" And right. all all the all eyes were on me because I was the one that forced us <laughs> to go there. Um, that's but then a, we went that's, to Disneyland. That's always awkward when you're the. It's kind of like when you show someone something you think is hilarious and then they don't laugh at all, so you feel like this yeah. pressure. <laughs> We've got three days in Paris, and I make us go there, and the first three hours were very underwhelming. But then Disneyland Paris was the actual Disneyland Paris Park, not Walt Disney Studios, mm-hmm. was really great. Um, it was pretty cool because it was middle of the day, you know, and there was nobody, no, really nobody there. We pretty much walked on all the rides. Um, I don't think we ever waited more than 20 minutes. Um, you know, some of it was just what you'd expect, like... Uh, Space Mountain was Hyperspace Mountain at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't the biggest fan of the overlay. I felt like it was... I, I don't know if it's the same in all the parks, but the one at Disneyland Paris was just kind of just some added sound effects and some screens that made... were supposed to, they, yeah, they, were, they weren't even I, really... I haven't been like a fan of TVs. that. Yeah, I haven't been a huge fan um, of the, hype, the overlay for that. Um, but unfortunately for us, Pirates of the Caribbean was closed... Um, which was probably the thing I was the most excited to go on while we were there, was the Disneyland Paris version. That was closed, and like I said, the Rock and Roller Coaster was closed. Um, the Tower of Terror was amazing. Um, that was in the Walt Disney Studios. That was the best part of the park. Uh, it was really cool because there wasn't there wasn't really even a line at all. So when we had like our you know, like the pre-show mm-hmm. where they take you in the room and turn off all the lights, there was only like four of us in there. Um, with our with our like tour guide so it was really really neat um the indiana jones ride there was like i thought it was going to be the indiana jones ride from you know the ones in the states mm-hmm. but it was just like a minecart roller coaster um it was it was completely different there was really nothing indiana jones about it um yeah i don't know too much about that one but i've always been curious i know it has like some different effects but i don't think i've i don't I mean, is Indiana Jones the character even in it, or is it just more of a the atmosphere of Indiana Jones? There's really, uh, to be completely honest, there's really nothing. It's it's an all outside coaster. You never go hmm. inside anywhere. Um, I guess I'm really the only thing Indiana Jones about it is that you're in a rusty minecart, and there's some there's some foliage. I guess. I guess I this is why you know it's a for me because I don't. I'm not very familiar with the foreign parks. Again, like for me, they're foreign. But so I get them mixed up because I was thinking, oh, like Journey to the Center of the Earth is there, but that's actually in Tokyo Disneyland. And so I know that there's a another version of the Indiana Jones ride that I'm pretty sure is indoor and is really cool. But I think that one's also at Tokyo um, Disney as well. 
Um, the only thing, I guess, that I've always been curious about with Paris is the um, the way that they modeled Tomorrowland, and it's like Discoveryland, and it's the whole kind of Jules Verne um, type of future versus like you know like an actual future. So I always thought that would be incredible to look at. Well, that's what felt so weird. Like when we went on Hyperspace Mountain, that's the one that used to be the Jules Verne like mm-hmm. themed, you know. Except it was now Hyperspace Mountain, but on the outside it was still the Jules Verne, you know. You could yeah. still see all of that. It had never been removed. Um, so a lot of that just felt that that's why the Hyperspace Mountain thing kind of felt really tacked on, you know. Right. Um, you didn't even know that that's what it was until we were walking on. We we're like, oh, hyperspace. Okay, I guess. Um, I'm sounding lukewarm. I actually loved Disneyland Paris, mostly because really the only thing, uh, you know, the only things that bother me in parks are like when you're overwhelmed with people and it's shoulder to shoulder people and you mm-hmm. can't even move. And it was almost like having a park like to yourself. We were just able to really do whatever we wanted. We didn't have to worry about booking a fast pass or anything like that you just walk on the rides well you also said phantom manor was closed wasn't it when phantom you went? manor was closed that's yeah. that's still closed um really it was i think it's closed for like a year for refurbishments or something um we just got unlucky those other two rides were literally just closed that day um and if it was like slinky dog roller coaster i wouldn't have cared but you know when it's pirates of the caribbean and the rock and roller coaster which i was pretty i still have never been on any version of that um, so all of the like more iconic, it seems like all the iconic rides, you know, were the ones that were closed, which is a bummer. Yeah, Big Thunder Mountain was also closed. Um, and this was in the was summer actually, too, right? Yeah, huh. um, it was middle of the week, I guess. That, to be honest, I, I was just shocked how few people were there. And it, yeah, I suppose some people that are watching might be from that area. Um, I'd be interested to know, like, when I was there, it very much felt like a solid 70 to 80% of the people in the park that day were, were tourists. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't feel like many locals were there. You know, like when you go to Orlando, a lot of the people in the parks are locals. Right. You know, a lot of people are tourists holders, too. But, yeah. Yeah, I think but there I, it just felt think, like there was a lot of tourists. Yeah, I think I'd mentioned that there was someone, one of the only other people I've talked to who went to Disneyland Paris, and he actually lives in that area. The I don't, I don't remember where, but he lives in Europe. And he was just saying it's not as much of a, it's not like Disneyland or even Disney World where there's as many like annual pass holders where it's a place that you go all, you know, all the time or on weekends. It just, it has a, I'm not sure why, um, but it just, he said it didn't have that kind of draw as opposed to the other parks. I, I don't know either. I mean, it's, it's funny because it's, it's so far outside of Paris. Um, we rented a car when we were, when we were in Europe um, and we took a tram there and I know we were all dead tired. So we kind of slept on the tram. So we lost track of how, how long the tram ride was. But when we drove outside of Paris, I mean, it must, it must be 30 miles out, not 30 miles, 30 minutes outside of Paris. Like it's really like not, you know, like Orlando, Walt Disney world and universal are kind of like, you know what I mean? They're Mm -hmm. part of the city. And that it just, when we were there, we kind of forgot we were in, it didn't really feel like we were in Europe. It just it kind of felt like it just felt like Disneyland, you know? Yeah, because looking at the I'm looking at because, again, I always get confused between Tokyo. I think the aspect of the park that I was always, again, most excited about is just the 
the the re the theming that they have of Tomorrowland, that whole Discovery Land, and the just the aesthetics of that whole area to me would probably be the coolest aspect. And they have like a like a walkthrough of the Nautilus from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I don't know if you got to go on that or if it was even open. Well, that was, I will I will say that was. That was by far the most disappointing part of it is just much of it was closed. I feel like I'm sounding negative. I actually loved it. But for me, I'm just talking about the rides because I guess that's probably what people want to hear. But for me, most of what I enjoy in the parks is walking around and like right. taking it all in. You know, So the, that was all perfect because it was like, I don't know. The only thing that ever really stifles my enjoyment in any of the parks is when you're just wall to wall, shoulder right. to shoulder people. And you get kind of claustrophobic. But there there was that wasn't an issue and everything i i kind of expected it to feel Walt disney studios did feel that way it felt very like almost like a neglected park mm-hmm. like it was just and that, that's what i i was i i was kind of down at that point because i was expecting disneyland paris to be the same way when it and really it, it wasn't at all it felt every bit as tended to as any of the parks in the u.s um and all of that, plus the fact that you can just walk into any shop without bumping into people. And there were shops you'd walk into and you'd be the only person in there. And I, it was, that's not really something you could ever experience at Disneyland. Right. Well, it seems like the aesthetics, uh, I think for me, because I was kind of going through the attractions again. And other than like a few, it seems like they ha- a lot of their attractions are, I know there's obviously variations, but a lot of them are similar to... Um, the ones we have here. And so it really seems like the the biggest appeal of Disneyland Paris would be like the atmosphere and the aesthetics I'm walking around um, versus somewhere like Shanghai where they have all these great new, you know, um, other, they have attractions that we don't have here or Tokyo Disneyland where they have Journey to the Center of the Earth and all those versus Paris seems like a lot of the attractions are ones with, that we have here. So it may, maybe it is more of just the, the atmosphere of the park that's probably the best and the most alluring. Well, I haven't been to the other parks, so I, I can't say. But just based on attractions, yeah, I would say the other parks, if you're into attractions, would be the ones you'd want to go to. Because this, I mean, Disneyland Paris, I, I guess it did have a lot of attractions that aren't in other parks, but they were all, you know, like they had like they have a whole Toy Story Land that's, Nothing like the one in Hollywood Studios, but it's all just, you know, kitty rides. And right. They have a Finding Nemo coaster, which I could be wrong, but I don't think any other park has that. D- do they? Do mm. any of the U.S. parks have a, Not the crushed roller coaster? But that it, was actually kind of cool. But is it just yeah. a roller coaster? I'll have to look it up. But is it a roller coaster that they just kind of say, it? you know, like a lot of the times with coasters, they'll put a sign that says the franchise it's from, but the coaster itself has nothing to do with and you know it's not themed really no that one that was one of few where it actually was like it's all indoors or most of it's indoors it has a little part where you go outside um but no that one was themed um it might have been something else before but that one was actually well themed um it it was a dark ride um i'll have to look that one up versus like like the slinky dog coaster and i guess when i say that people probably think of the new one from hollywood studios but that one was that that one was literally just like like a single track coaster that you go around a track and then the ride's over. Um, hmm. And all the Toy Story stuff, I don't know if that stuff was rethemed. Like, it probably wasn't because it was all so simple. But 
that stuff, yeah, they just slapped an IP on it, and that was it. Like, it felt very, very cheap. Um, a lot of a lot of Walt Disney Studios felt that way. Like, they just kind of wanted to put something there, so they put something there. Um, well, it also struck. I mean, and, you know, that's part of you know it really did struggle a lot early on when it first came out, and that's why so many you know it kind of had all this this trickle effect of. That's why a lot of attractions went unbuilt and a lot of lands went on um uh unupdated because of the you know the financial disaster of euro disney so i mean it doesn't surprise me that there's aspects of it that do you know struggle versus tokyo and a lot of the other ones they just seem like maybe they um had it better had it right from the beginning you know if that makes sense where they weren't having to well, kind of band-aid it you know that's why I was surprised there was a second park when we got there. And even after going to the second park, on, honestly, we kind of felt like, what's the point of this park? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. Disneyland Paris was where everything, pretty much everything was. Like, Walt Disney Studios had the co- the Nemo coaster, which was, was cool enough. Um, and it had Tower of Terror, which was great. But that with the Tower of Terror was identical to the ones in the States. Um, and then it had the the rock and roller coaster, which was closed, and that was it. And when it, it kind of felt like that was it for big landmark rides. Mm-hmm. And when we felt, we honestly at the end of the day, we kind of almost felt like, why did we even go to the second park? Because it, we could have easily spent the full day in Disneyland Paris. Because mm-hmm. Disneyland Paris itself was great. I don't know if the whole like place is called Disneyland Paris or how that. I, I think that. I, I don't know. I'm I'm probably driving people crazy that are from the area. No, no, that's how. Like I said, that's how I'd be because I, I know so little about the foreign parks, and that's why I always get confused of which of the attractions are in which ones. But one day I'd love to go to all of them and experience them. But it definitely sounds like Disneyland Paris is probably the one that has, um, the least amount to do in terms of how a lot of the attractions as aside from how it looks on the outside, that the inside is pretty similar. Because, yeah, like the the, and, uh, the Indiana Jones ride I was thinking of, I think the one um, is in Tokyo that's indoors and is really cool looking. And then the Paris one is, you know, less themed and kind of more tacked on. Well, it's funny because I had never, when I went to Disneyland Paris this summer, um, I guess I had been to Disneyland once last summer so not well the summer before last Mm -hmm. but i was super sick and we didn't stay very long so i really didn't remember much of the park so really and then i went to disneyland disneyland in california this summer um disneyland paris was like i don't know i hadn't experienced actual regular disneyland before Mm -hmm. um so it was i don't know it really felt I, I didn't feel redundant to me because a lot of like that stuff I hadn't really even experienced. Right. But I, I honestly think if you had been to Disneyland a bunch of times and then you went to Disneyland Paris, a lot of it would feel very similar. Like, you know, right. there's not a lot. There really wasn't a like, you're right. Now that I think of it in terms of different rides, fa- I think fa- that's the problem. A lot of the ones that would have been different were closed. Like right. Phantom Manor yeah. is its own thing. Like Phantom Manor is a big draw there. Right. You know, and going on the different version of Pirates of the Caribbean would great, and Big Thunder Mountain was also closed. Yeah. So I, it's, it's hard to give like a final opinion when so many of the landmark attractions were were closed that day. Like we got to go on Hyperspace Mountain, which, like I said, was 
was fine. It yeah, was I'm not a fan of that overlay. Hours. I haven't. I wasn't too impressed with. At least when I went, it was a few years ago. But when I went on it, I don't know. It just seemed kind of just slapped together. Maybe it's better now. Maybe the one that they had that you rode was the one I rode because I was not um, like impressed by it all that much. Um, other than just hearing Star Wars music as you're going through, that was like the the highlight. But that's not really saying all that much. You could do that with any ride. Yeah. Well, that's how I felt when we got off. I was like, really, all it was was you had. Star Wars music playing, and there was like just occasional an occasional TV screen yep. that you would drive by or you would fly by, and that was it. And I like I, I'm trying to think like of the, the rides we went on when we were there that weren't closed. We went on Hyperspace Mountain and the Star Wars uh, Star Tours, which was all in French. That was the only ride we went on that was all in French. Hmm. Um, yeah, I think that probably has to do with everyone being so ridiculously familiar with Star Wars that they figure, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> like you don't need to give that much explanation. But even the, Oh, yeah, it, we, we were able to follow the intricate story of Star Tours yeah, just fine. It just, uh, yeah, I guess it just seems overall from what you've said and from what I've heard like the one other person say and then from me looking around like the aesthetics of the park look amazing and there's you know the ones that you didn't get to experience those are the ones that really are probably more of the draw but a lot of it is um just very similar to what we have in disneyland and disney world other than the fact that i'm pretty i don't know if you got to ride snow white but the snow white there was more heavily influenced off the one in disney world i think that's now closed so so that'd be probably Hmm cooler to you know because it's not here anymore i should also point out to people listening that i was there with two people that did not want to be there and that makes um, it 10 times that that's hard so, because then there's no so dragging them onto snow white you know would have been a hard sell so it was kind of just <laughs> what they wanted to do like they did not want to be there so i was kind of just you know, I, I was definitely not doing exactly what I wanted to, because if I had been there, I would have tried to go on every single ride right. and just soak up the park. But instead, it was a lot of let's sit in this area and have something to eat again, because we don't want to be here. Um, well, that's where it's so, hard. I, like, because in college, there were I went to the parks with all kinds of different friends. And it, it really it does ruin the experience when you go to a park or really anything, I guess, when you go somewhere with someone that does not want to be there because then there's it just takes away the fun because then well, you know that you're catering you know, to them yeah. right and then you feel the pressure like if something doesn't live up to you know like you said snow white yeah that weird kind of in the back of your mind being like oh like i don't want to like bore them so i guess with those kind of parks that's where you really do have to go with someone who's just as like enthusiastic about it as you so then it kind of livens up the whole um experience well, if it- I don't want to sound negative because honestly, I like I said, I enjoyed my, I really enjoyed that day. It was my out of my three days in Paris, that was my favorite time. Um, but I really enjoyed the whole day there, despite a four or five of the, you know, top attractions being closed, and b being there with two people that didn't want to be there, and I still had a really good time. So like, I mean, if I remember, if I'm ever in Paris again, I would go again. Right. I just, you know. But that's surprising that they had so many attractions closed during the summer, which is, you know, maybe there it's not a peak season, but it seems strange to me. Well, well, Phantom Manor is, like, closed, like, for a whole year or something for them to completely redo it. I saw Hmm. pictures the other day, like, the facade's, like, torn down and they're redoing it. Oh. Um, 
But yeah, the other ones were unlucky. Pirates of the Caribbean had like literally closed like an hour before we had got there. Um, the other two had been closed for the day. Like I, we knew Rock and Roller Coaster was closed because that was the, on the website. But the other ones were not on the website. We just got there and then they turned us away and we were like, <sighs> well, that's okay. it. That's the hard part of only having a day at a park because you're kind of at the mercy of, you know, luck and whether, you know, because you could go to if you went to Universal one day, for all you know, that Forbidden Journey could close and not reopen. And then you would be missing out on like the more iconic attraction sure. over at Islands of Adventure. Well, one ride wouldn't have been so bad. Five was a little... Uh, I think we just got really unlucky, <laughs> to be completely honest. Like, five big attractions, four or five, that's that's a lot, to be honest. And like I said, if it was if it was the, the Slinky Dog single roller coaster, I, I don't think I would have cared. But when it's some of the biggest attractions, it was a bit of a bummer. Well, it'd be the same thing if you went to Magic Kingdom and Pirates, Thunder Mountain, Haunted Mansion, <laughs> you know, and, and, like, and if they... Um, you know, if there were any others that were closed, the main ones, you would probably have a different feeling because you'd be like, you know, the main draws and the main, you know, the more iconic attractions of that park, if they're the ones that are closed versus, and then the rest are the ones that you can experience in the other parks. Well, I think it's about a good place. To, I don't really know where to go from there other than that I really hope to get to visit all of them someday and then hopefully you get to go there again and actually have things be open that'll probably <laughs> yeah. make the trip 10 times better but um but yeah but thanks for coming on i appreciate um you stopping by it's always fun to talk about i love talking about theme parks with not just the same people you know people that have different um experiences growing up you know versus being like an annual pass holder their whole lives people that maybe got into it later so i always love hearing um, opinions from people that you know aren't necessarily the type that go every single day you know sure thanks for having me on it was a it was a blast well thanks everyone for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode of the Esterworld podcast if you're just listening via soundcloud or itunes or wherever else you're getting this audio from be sure to check out the Yesterworld entertainment channel at youtube.com slash Entertainment, or you can just search that in Google and I'm sure you will find it just as easily there. So again, thank you all for listening. Have a great rest of your evening, day, or morning, and I'll see you all next time on Yesterworld.